You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, please visit hydepark.church. He has risen. It is so good to see each of you here today and all of those who are watching all over the world online this morning. We want to welcome you to this Resurrection Sunday service and just tell you how glad we are that you're here. Uh, One year ago, um, it was one of the most difficult times as a pastor having to figure out an Easter service that had to be completely and totally online. So I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being here and how In the future, I'm not going to take for granted anymore about having people gathered together in a place. We're glad that you're here. If you were here last weekend or if you watched online, I told you that today's service was going to be a little bit different. I have three good friends on the stage with me this morning, and they're going to be sharing a testimony. And uh, they are powerful. And But for those of you watching online, if, if something impacts you this morning and, and something you hear on this stage, you think, wow, that could really be a help to a friend of mine or a coworker. And this goes the same for you guys. Just go to our website. You can share the link with someone. They can go watch this later on because I'm confident that what you're going to hear this morning is going to have a major impact not only on you, but on the people that you have in your circle of influence that maybe needs to hear what Christ is doing in the lives of these people. What you're going to hear is resurrected life. That's why we're here this morning. Not only the resurrection of Jesus, that's the, that's the real thing we're celebrating this morning, but how his resurrection impacts the lives around us. All three of these individuals are Christ followers. They put their faith in Jesus Well, some great time ago. I mean, it's been a while for some of them when they put their faith in Jesus. So this testimony flows out of uh, what Jesus has done in their life. So I want you to welcome Miss Stacy Britt. Give her a round of applause this morning. When I was 10 years old, I lost my grandmother to something very unexpected. I was young and didn't understand a lot of things, but I know it made me scared of dying. A few days later, I left for camp, and it was there that I got saved, or so I thought I got saved. I realized on a youth trip at 16 years old that I knew Jesus in my head, but I never had him in my heart. It was many years after that that I began some of the hardest times in my life. I was searching for love and relationships, people, and things, and they just pulled me further into a destructive direction. I tried to find my worth in people's opinions and thoughts of me, but I was forgetting all those years of what I'd been taught and how I had been raised. I began to let people and things control who I was and how I felt about myself. I was searching hard for acceptance and love from people to feel whole and complete, complete. But there was no way I could find it because I did not know how to love myself. My search for love, acceptance, and happiness would lead me to one bad relationship, an abusive situation to another, and eventually to do and try things I thought I would never do in my life. I started a destructive relationship with my body image and would use my thoughts of myself to spin into a depression that I didn't even realize I was in. I would allow people to control my thoughts and actions because I thought they loved me, I would think I could fix everyone and allow people to use my generosity and kind heart against me. I would apologize to people who had done me wrong 
or who were hurting me because they must have been mentally, physically, or verbally abusing me because of something I had done, surely. Eventually, I lost every ounce of myself, and I began to numb myself to who these people had made me believe I was, and I would do it by any means necessary. I would take anything, drink anything, do anything to not be the person that my abuser had made me become. I completely lost myself, and every day I did these things repeatedly to make that person disappear, but she did not, and by now I was completely out of control. If not for a wonderful family, an amazing support system, and people praying without ceasing for me, I don't know where I would be. I had to realize that happiness doesn't come from things, but only from a merciful and gracious God. And I've learned that God's love is greater than any other love you'll ever look for. I'm still on a journey, but I'm learning to love me again and see the worth that God sees in me. Sin doesn't care who you are or how you were raised. Satan can take any weakness, put his hooks in us, and turn us away from God. If you are struggling today with anything, please know you are not alone. You can reach out to me and let me help you find the peace and healing that God has given me. Step from death to life and experience Christ's resurrection power. Stacy, in your testimony, you said that uh, you completely lost yourself. Uh, and every day that you did those things, you ran to other things. Uh, to make that person, which was you, disappear. But she did not, and then things were completely out of control. And, and ministering to families and, and different situations, I've often heard people use this phrase, uh, I reached rock bottom. And Stacy, it seems like in what you were describing there that you'd reach rock bottom. How can a person know when they've reached that place? I think rock bottom can look different for people, but my point was... It didn't matter what I was doing, what I was, anything. Nothing was taking the pain away and nothing was making me happy. I was looking in the mirror every day at this person and I did not like what I saw. And, and rock bottom for me was, I'm standing there looking at myself. I'm losing everything I love, everything I've worked for. I'm losing my family. When is enough gonna be enough? And I finally just looked at myself and said, Stacy, you cannot do this anymore. And I think that was the point, my rock bottom, where I just realized you're getting ready to lose everything and everyone you love. I know in my life, and I know many of you have a, a similar testimony in this, is that when things get hard, we don't always run to Jesus. For those of you who are Christ followers, uh, for some reason, in those moments, we choose to run to other things. And, and Stacy, you said that, that you would take anything, drink anything to escape. But when you ran to those things, what other problems did those things bring into your life? Well, on top of, you know, the lasting effects of what it does to you, um, it brought financial instability into my life. It brought the fact where trust, I broke trust with so many people. Um, it's had lasting health issues on me. And at the end of the day, it didn't matter what I did, none of it masked the problem and nothing I did was fixing how I felt because it was, that wasn't the issue. That wasn't the issue. What was the turning point? I mean, no doubt there are people watching online and, and listening that uh, maybe they realize right now that they've hit rock bottom. 
And they need to know that there's hope after that. How, how, what was the turning point for you? How did you, how did you turn and make some decisions after that? I mean, I had always been a Christ father, and I knew Christ had more for my life. I just, I think it was a lot of scared of how much I had, how far I'd went, how many people I had disappointed. And I think that was what kept holding me back. But my turning point was when your family's standing in your face and your job and your career and three little boys looking at me as an example, and I'm letting them down. Their sissy is not being who she needs to be. And thinking, what do you tell them when somebody gets the call that their sissy is not, has, has OD'd or is not alive? And I think that was my point, that I have to be more for the people that love me. I've often said that, that God can take your misery and turn it into a ministry that uh, whatever you're going through, um, God can use that to impact other people's lives. Stacy, if you were to meet someone today, and I, I, I predict that you're going to be running into a lot of people the rest of your life because God's going to bring those people into your life for you to have that impact with. But if, if you were to meet someone today that's in the same circumstances that you once were in, what, what would you say to them? I said first service, I said don't do it. <laughs> but no, seriously, um, there is hope. There's hope. Please reach out. Talk to me. Let me be there for you. I think my biggest issue was um, I tried to do it on my own and tried to fix myself on my own. Didn't allow people to help me. Um, I think it was for fear. I didn't want people to know what was going on. I was hiding. But I would tell them, reach out to me. Find you support. You know, find somebody that cares about you. It is not worth it. It does not fix the problem. It only masks it. And when, you, when everything in the fog is gone, everything that was a problem before is still sitting in front of you. You're not fixing it. You're masking it. I think, you, and you and I talked about this, but uh, I think we can both agree that, that Jesus has, has brought you back to life, right? The resurrected life. And uh, why, why do you think Jesus pulled you out of that mess? Why, why do you think, what do you think the purpose is behind all that you've went through and Jesus bringing you out of that? Well, he pulled me out because I was always his. I've, I was a Christ follower just because I was doing things that were not Christ-like. His hand was always extended to me. I would turn my back on him. He never turned his back on me. And he stood there waiting for me, saying, Stacy, just reach your hand out, and I will pull you out. I'm here for you. Just give me your hand. And I think a lot of times with anything... We lay it down, and we don't take our hand off of it, and we keep picking it back up, and we pick it back up because we think we can do it. When you lay it down, you have to surrender it. And God just picked my hand up, and he pulled me out because I was his. And, you know, it, it took me a long time to get there, but when I laid it down, I finally laid it down and let it go. He pulled me up, and here I sit. Stacy, thanks for your bravery. Give her a round of applause this morning. I want to introduce to you Miss Livy Gooding. Miss Livy. Good morning. I was born and raised here in Lumberton. Actually, I was raised at Godwin Heights Baptist Church, and I went there until April of 91 when my husband and I took our young family to Wilson for our oldest daughter to attend the Eastern North Carolina School for the Deaf. She had, born deaf, she had been born deaf and with a genetic birth defect. In 2000, I was working at the School for the Deaf as a teacher assistant in a pre-K classroom. 
To say that I was unhappy in that position would be an understatement. My marriage was falling apart. The challenges of raising three children, one having special needs that required multiple trips to Duke for surgeries, and working full-time was very overwhelming. It was a difficult time in my life. I'm going to spare you the details of my divorce, just let me say that disrespect and emotional abuse will destroy a relationship. I believe that God had created marriage to be forever, so this is an extremely difficult time in my life, and the words from an old hymn frequently came to mind. I would find myself singing, it is well, it is well with my soul. Two years later, I met Robert. He worked at ENCSD2, and we, beca we began dating. Who knew that he was just what I needed? Looking back at what we've been through, I know God placed him in my life. Long story short, we married in 2004, and it was on. <laughs> By this time, my daughter Beth has met a guy. We had some serious reservations about this guy, but she just wouldn't listen, and she moved in with him. She gets pregnant and has a baby, which sets off a series of health issues for her that were related to her birth defect. She ends up having more spinal surgery, and it becomes apparent they're incapable of caring for this innocent little person. Robert and I had to do the hard, one of the hardest things we'd ever had to do to that point. We had to start the process of proving them unfit and take Emma. Sixteen years later, we still have that sweet girl, and I pray we've done a good job. Fast forward to 2010. Beth comes home and she's a mess. She'd lived with chronic pain since her last surgery and had become addicted to the opioids prescribed to her. She had been physically, mentally, and emotionally abused by the boyfriend and has developed a seizure disorder. She's in a very, very dark place, one that despite multiple hospital stays and overwhelming support from her family, she never recovered from. I came home on the afternoon of April 27, 2015 and discovered that my sweet Beth had gone to be with Jesus. And there's my song. When sorrows like sea billows roll, it is well. That was when we made the decision to move back to Lumberton, and I'm leaving so much out. There's so much happened in between when she came home and when she left us. During all this drama with Beth, my son David is struggling with a 15-year-old year old alcohol and drug addiction. We had been battling. I say we because Addiction affects everyone that the addict comes in contact with. I can't tell you how many times he called me in the middle of the night. He would either be drunk, crying for his mama, or he would be in jail and want me to go get him out. One night I got up at 2 in the morning and painted the hallway, just couldn't sleep. It was the first time he'd called from jail and wanted me to go get him. We'd often have this conversation, no son, if you need a ride, I'll go pick you up. I don't want you drinking and driving. But don't call me if you get arrested for DWI. Many times he called and just said, Mom, I'm tired. Help me. 
So I would go sit for hours in emergency room. Just to do it all over again when he relapsed. Thousands of dollars were spent on methadone. The seventh time David overdosed, he, he said, this is it. I'm not doing this again. He contacted Mike Cannon, and with Mike Cannon's help and the Hope Initiative in the Rocky Mount Wilson area, he went to Converting Hearts Ministries. That was the beginning of getting our David back for a short time. When it was time for him to start thinking about coming home, I told him he could come here, but there were some stipulations. You gotta have a plan for staying sober. You've gotta have a plan for your future, and you've got to be involved in some kind of recovery. We contacted Bobby, and our family's relationship with Hyde Park began. David became heavily involved with Celebrate Recovery, was sharing his testimony in the community every chance he got, made so many good friends here, and had started barber school. See, he had this vision of becoming a barber and getting a mobile unit. He wanted to give back by ministering to men that were in the same position he was working so hard to come out of. He was doing so well. Then he did the very thing his family had warned him about. He lost his focus. See, he met a girl. She got pregnant. They got married. His focus now includes going to school full-time, working part-time, being a new dad, trying to be an attentive husband, and it was all quite overwhelming for him. His recovery is taking a back seat to everything else, and he turns to the coping skill that's most familiar to him drugs and alcohol. On September 7, 2019, he injected a lethal mixture of cocaine and fentanyl into his arm. And once again, I have to convince myself it is well. So many people ask me, how do you do it? How do you stay so positive in light of all you've been through? James 1, 2 through 4 says, Consider it all joy when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure your faith is forced into the open and show its true, it shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. In other words, don't change the channel too quickly or you'll miss the best part. Life breaks us. That's just life. However, I'm determined to live with joy. I refuse to be a victim. I'm not the only one that's been through hard times, and I refuse to be poor Livy. I didn't lose my children. I know exactly where they are, and I know I'll see them again. To not live life to the fullest, no matter my situation, no matter how broken and tired I am, to not share the lessons I have learned through all of these experiences is simply waiting for my clock to run out. How sad would that be for Beth and David who gave their lives to give me the gift that I'm supposed to share with others? Lisa Turkhurst said in her book, it's not supposed to be this way, and it's not. I'm not supposed to be sitting here sharing this with you. 
but God made us to do the hard things in the good story he's writing for our lives. There will be hard things, but you can live with joy. I'm the perfect example. Not that I'm perfect, that I have everything figured out. Not that I never cry myself to sleep. It happens a lot. I just don't stay there. I have my moments, and I get up, dry my eyes, straighten my crown, and remember who I belong to. We have choices in life, and I choose to live with joy, knowing that God is already knows what's ahead and that he's equipping me to do the hard stuff. David was a good friend of mine. And I'm, I'm going to share this real quick story about him I didn't share in first service, but it's a funny story. Um, I've never played soccer in my life, uh, okay? <laughs> so David and I decide we're going to coach a soccer team in our sports ministry. And we were both operating on the assumption that the other guy knew how to play soccer. I mean, he was a tall